those that weren't here, but we talked about, we do surveys every, every couple summers, and we'll do another one coming up this summer, and we just ask questions about, you know, how are you following Jesus? What does that look like? Uh, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you need help on? And like every time, it never fails, like prayer is the one that comes up of people just saying, I, I, don't, I don't pray that much. I don't know how. It's, it's kind of, you know, I just, I don't get it. And so we are doing our best over the next several weeks just to kind of Man, answer some of those questions, you know, starting at the root of what is prayer, what do we do with it, and uh, we figured the best place to do that was just from the words of Jesus. He was the best at it, uh, we see him doing it frequently, um, and, you know, there's a lot of commonality between us and Jesus and, and how we pray, and, and I would say pretty much universal commonality, to be honest, with how he prayed, we get to pray that way too. Um, we have been made co-heirs with Jesus. So anyway, um, all of that to say, glad you're here, uh, really, really glad, I know that Probably for some of you, it wasn't um, a point of tension for you to come out this morning, but I know for some of you, it probably was. And so, thank you for being willing just, just to come out and have six feet of social space between you and the next person nearest to you. Um, can't promise that you won't get the coronavirus, but hey, you know, we're doing everything that we can. And each week, I talked to the landlord this week of, of this place that said they're going to they're gonna bust their humps to clean on Saturday nights for us, make sure everything's clean. When we get here, we wipe down everything that you might touch. Um, and we're going to do it before we leave, too. So we're doing everything that we can, uh, so you do what you can. So don't shake hands, don't hug, no, no kissing, no brotherly kisses of affection or anything like that for a little while. Uh, let's hold off on those. I know that's normal for you guys, um, but uh, <clears throat> I normally avoid you, you know, doing the head, head weave. But anyway, here we go. Man, last week we started off with a strange place for Jesus to teach because he normally didn't teach like this. In Matthew chapter 6, he normally, the the way that Jesus taught most of the time was the way he did things. It was just he came to teach in word and in deed, and most of the time his modus operatus was teaching in deed. But there were a lot of times he would teach in parable, uh, he would teach in other ways. But in Matthew chapter 6, we see that he's going to address some of the pillars of the Jewish faith. Uh, He's going to start with giving, and then he's going to go to prayer. And so when he gets to prayer, the way that he starts to teach is just odd. Uh, It's not normal for the way that he he used to teach most things. And he started with do nots. He started with when you pray, don't don't do this. And so the two that we looked at last week, starting in verse 9 of chapter 6, he said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And we talked about the hypocrites. Originally, they were called hypocrites because they were actors. They would put on a mask. They would go on a stage, and they were thespians. And so they were, they were called hypocrites. Later, that name was given to the, to the religious elite, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who knew the law, but instead they said one thing, did the other. Or they said that they would do one thing, but in their heart they were different. They were called hypocrites. He said, don't be like them. Don't go in the midst of the crowd or on the street corners and pray for all to hear. Don't be super verbose and loquacious. He didn't use those words, but those are the ones that we will use. He was like, don't do that. Your prayer is not a performance. He said, don't be that guy or those guys. And he said, instead, he said, go into the quietness of like a closet and seek God in secret. And he will respond because he will hear you. And he said, just know the people that are performing their prayers, that's their reward. And that's all they're going to get. So don't be like those guys. Do not. He said, instead, seek God personally. And we talked about the question that would come up. Does this mean that we don't pray as a people together? No, it doesn't mean that. We read the book of Acts, every chapter except two. We see people praying together, and so it was there. It was active. It was real. But still, prayer must be personal. It's not about the performance. Uh, God is our audience, no one else. The second thing he said, he said, do not be like the Gentiles or the pagans who just repeat things over and over and over, who have empty words that don't mean anything, but they're saying them just repeatedly to every God that they can think of, just hoping that one's going to take notice. They are doing their best to build a connection that they never can because we can't build a connection, only God can. 
And he says, do not just be like them, just repeating empty phrases. And for us, it resonates in this, weigh our words. Make sure that we understand who we're talking to, why we're addressing God, and understand that we're, man, we're being pertinent and careful with our words. We're being intentional with our words. We're just not repeating incantations so that a God may hear us. We've already been granted access through Jesus, and so that means that what we say God hears, the prayers of a righteous man or a woman, are powerful based on not my righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus, and so what we say matters, and so take our time with our words. We said for some of us, that may mean we need to write out our prayers before we pray them. For the rest of us, it may mean, or for all of us, it may mean even before we sit down to formally pray, we just say, God, uh, what do you want me to say today? Pray before we pray. And I know that sounds crazy, but if prayer is, and we're going to talk about this more, if prayer is the attempt to align two wills together, our will and God's will, in which only one of those wills is going to change, and it must be ours, uh, if that is the attempt, then sometimes we need to say, God, I, I don't know what to pray today. I don't know what to ask for. I need you to guide me in what I'm asking. To be aligned with your will, I need to know your will. And so he goes through all of that, the do nots, and then he, he enters into this in verse 9, which is where we're going to start today. He said, yeah, perfect. He said, pray like this then, or when you pray, do it like this. He starts off, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. This week, that's all, two verses two verses. The Lord's Prayer is an interesting thing. Uh, a lot of times, especially in, in kind of orthodoxy, it was used as kind of a, a corporate prayer. It was repeated frequently. There was even something added around the first or second century that we're not going to see in most modern translations, um, you know, at the very end, but it's not in most moderns. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Uh, but here's my point of contention with the Lord's Prayer. Um, he said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say, pray this. And there's nothing wrong with reading this prayer out loud if you can truly mean it from a genuine heart. But this, if we just said it because we think that Jesus told us to say it, it becomes just like that warning number two. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. If we think that we can repeat these words and magically God's blessings will pour out on us because we're praying the words of Jesus and they're not coming from an intent heart, we've automatically become like the Gentiles. And he said, don't be like those guys. Don't repeat empty, uh, baseless words that you don't mean because that's not like the first warning. It's not personal. He said, so, no, 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 don't necessarily pray this, but pray like this. <clears throat> the point of the Lord's Prayer is not to give us the words. It's to give us the attitude. It's to give us the attitude. These first two verses in particular right here, we can start there. Uh, I, when I read these, this is what I think. In these first couple, Jesus is giving us the place from which we pray. The place from which we pray. Because I think there are, there are several motivations for us to pray. We even talked about that in community group uh, this week and ours of, man, what are some of the things that have driven us to pray? Like really just pushed us, propelled us, and we came up with a lot of answers. But here today, I think there are three things that we need to see. And I'm not a points guy, but today there are just like three points that I feel like jump out to me. If we can pray from these three places, I think it changes everything in what we say, how we say, and who, even who we say it to. Even who we say it to. So let me, let me pray before we do that, um, and we're going to jump in. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the example of your son, Jesus. We thank you that not only did he come to be the price that we couldn't pay, that he came to be the spotless lamb because he was the only one that could, uh, but God, he also came to be our example. 
to set an example in deed, but also to lay out an example in word. And so, God, we thank you for his words this week. I pray that we can look at the prayer that, that he said that we should pray like uh, as a place to start our attitude of what it really looks like to be people of prayer that seek you, that want to align their will with yours, uh, that want to know your will, that want to do your will, um, and, God, that just want to be your kids. I thank you for your word today. I pray that you speak through it. So he starts off. I'm going to reread. He said, so when you pray, after giving the two warnings, he said, when you pray, pray like this, or how, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I think the first thing that we see, the first place that we need to uh, understand is that the place that we come from in prayer, it needs to be the place of a child. It needs to be the place of a child. Because he's identifying the person or the, the God that we're praying to, and he says, our Father. In Greek, this would, have been, uh, this would have been one word, but Jesus was actually speaking in Aramaic, and it would have been another word. It would have been the word Abba. Abba. Now, in the, in the 70s, there was a guy, um, I can't remember what nationality he was, uh, but he was, uh, he was a Lutheran pastor. Um, his last name was Jeremiah, and he wrote a paper talking about what Abba meant in the ancient uh, Aramaic. And he, he went as far to say that Abba was like a baby uttering his daddy's name for the first time. And so this took off as kind of a theological discourse of, oh, when Jesus said Abba, it was like, duh, duh, you know, kind of a thing. It was like that innocent baby speaking to his dad. But then a lot of other theologians chimed in, a lot of linguistic experts over the next 10 years, they're like, no, 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 that's, that's not the case. Uh, yes, Abba is something, but it's not that. And they, they started to say, yes, Abba does mean like, dad, but it's not the utterance of a baby saying dad for the first time. No, it's more like someone who truly understands the relational aspect of fatherhood, and it's their personal name for their father. And so, like, it is a personal attached name for our father. And so, for me, like, I think back, um, I grew up originally calling my dad daddy. Like, that was the first thing that I called my dad, daddy. But as I grew and as I began to know the man that my father was, I began to morph into calling him dad because I understood that he was an authority. I understood that he had wisdom that I did not. I understood that he was more than just a man. He was my dad. And that is my personal name for my father. That is what I call him. Now, there are irreverent names for my father, too. I call him Pop, which is what my, my kids call him. And I also call him Old Man. Not the same. Generally, when he picks up the phone, I'm like, how you doing, old man? I used to call him fat man. That was terrible. I apologize, but he's, he's a lesser man now since his liver transplant, praise the Lord, um, which is the reason he will not be in public anytime soon. Um, but yeah, so now, but like the formal name of my father, my personal father is dad. And so when Jesus was saying like Abba, it wasn't like a baby's first utterance. No, it was like someone who had walked, talked, breathed, had relationship with his dad, and this was his personal name for his father. For me, it's dad. For whatever it is for you, I don't know. But for me, it's like dad. I remember in college when things were just rough, and I would, I would call home, and I would just want to talk to my dad, and it would always start with just, hey, dad. <laughs> just that. James, a buddy of mine, you're the only one with kids old enough right now that can call home from college, but I guarantee when they call you, they just, they just want to hear your voice. They just want to hear it, and they, I don't know what they call you, big papa, whatever, but they call you something. They usually just text, dad need money, send now. But either way, like personal name for our father, the best place that we need to start when we're understanding the place of prayers, we have to start from a place of we are his children. Scripture repeatedly, we can't even count how many times it says that we are the children of God. First John, it, it repeats it several times in the, in the space of just a few verses. 
We are the children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are His offspring. And so we have to start there. We're not just His subjects. We're not His pawns. We're none of those things. No, we, we come from a place of we are His kids. And we're speaking personally to our Father. But here are some caveats. We're speaking personally to our Father, but we don't call Him old man. We don't call Him fat man. We don't call Him hey Jack. Because right after that, it says, our Father in heaven, stay on verse 9 for me. It says, our Father in heaven, our Dad in heaven, you're in heaven, number one, so that shows that you're different. Second, is hallowed be your name, or separate be your name, or holy be your name. But more importantly, the, a better translation would be, uh, your name be kept holy. And I don't know if that sits with you differently, but it should. Your name be kept holy. And the difference here is, yes, personal father. That's who we're praying to from a place of we are his kids. Second, we realize that he's different. He's not our earthly father. He's our heavenly father, so he's already separate. He's different. He's better than. He's higher than. But second, hallowed be your name or your name be kept holy. Not only should we keep his name holy, but we should strive to keep it holy in the world around us. That's the reverence that we issue our dad, that dad. You know, in middle school, if somebody talks about your mom, you're ready to fight, even if it's a joke. In this world, it's not that we're ready to fight, but we're ready, to, we're ready just to share truth. We're ready to say that, yes, he is my personal heavenly father. His name is to be kept holy, and when in the world around us his name is not, we get to speak. We get to say, no, this, this is God. And, and we don't even have to make truth relative to say that, no, 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 this is God to me, but this is who God is. We have the responsibility, we have the authority given to us by Jesus to actually say, this is God. Your name be kept holy. Who keeps his name holy? We, we get to keep his name holy. We get to keep his name holy in the way that we utter his name. We get to keep his name holy in the way that we speak his name. We get to keep his no name holy in the way that we bear his name. Your name be kept holy. We do that as a child to a father, personal. Um, and I know, like, I get it. I'm also assuming that everybody had a great relationship with their dad. We talked about that last week. I realize you didn't. I did. My dad had his flaws. He still does. Um, he can only cook like two things, instant grits and macaroni out of a box, but that's okay. I still love him. I learned to cook in spite of that. Uh, and I, I realize that some of you didn't have that great relationship with your dad, but assume you did what would you call him? Personal, repeated, with respect, but also understanding who he is as a child. Then second, second verse, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second place of prayer that we have to assume from these, these first two verses, um, the second is that, and we talked about it a little bit already, but that place of reverence. You know, that, that and I, I think reverence is lost on our culture to a degree. I don't think it's something that we understand a whole lot because I think we feel like we have moved beyond reverence, that we've moved beyond the pomp and circumstance of things that, you know, there was even like in the 90s, I remember the shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. I, I get it, I get it, okay? We're brothers of Jesus, he's a friend of sinners, I'm a sinner, I'm his brother now, okay, that's great, let's fist bump it out. But at the same time, uh, there is this idea that we see at the end of verse 9 leading into verse 10 that he is our heavenly father, his name is to be kept holy, and he has a kingdom. <laughs> he, he has a kingdom, right? 
And you go throughout history. Nobody walked into the court of a king and was like, high five it, let's get it. It didn't happen. Because you'd die. You'd be killed. Now, is God going to kill us if we approach him with irreverence? No, but he deserves more. You look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, which was like the call of Isaiah, who was one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. And he has this vision, right? He doesn't leave earth, but he has this vision of what God is like. And he's transported to this, this beautiful temple. And, and it says that he walks in and he sees the Lord high and lifted up like on a tall throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Every square inch of the floor was touching it. And there are angels flying around, seraphim, flaming angels with six wings. With two they flew, two they covered their face, two they covered their feet. And they're flying around saying, holy, holy, holy. The Trahagian, uh, the Lord is full of the glory. The earth is full of the Lord's glory. And then as soon as Isaiah sees it, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets who would probably be considered like holy by all standards, he looks at God and he's like, I just want to die. Like English translation would be, oh my goodness, I am undone. I'm unfurled. I am ruined. I want to die. Why? Because he saw the holy, holy, holy God. And as a result of seeing the holy, holy God, he saw his sin. And he was like, I just, I just want to die. Kill me now. So yes, Pater, Abba, he is our dad, our personal dad, but he has a kingdom. And so we go to our dad who's also the king. And so we approach him as our personal father, but we also have to approach him from a spirit of reverence, from a place of understanding that we should not be able to talk to God. I mean, I don't know if you get that. Like, I don't know if we know the weight of grace. Like, the weight of grace tells me this. I should not be allowed to spend eternity with Jesus. No chance. Because I'm a broken, flawed pot. And by all, by all practical means, I should just be destroyed. I should be tossed back in the furnace and just be fried. But because of grace... God says, no, 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 I want relationship with you. I'm going to send my son. He's going to die in your place. All you have to do, believe, call him as Lord. That's it. Believe in who he is, what he did, what he said he was, all of those things. Believe in him. Place your trust in him to be made right with God, and you can be with me for the rest of life. Yes, grace right there. But here's the other thing of grace. There's no reason that Isaiah should have been able to speak in the presence of God. There's no reason that I should be able to address God as Abba, as Dad, as Father. No reason. But the only reason that allows me, the only thing that allows me to address God at all is grace. Is grace. The only way that I can be heard by God is through our intermediary, Jesus, the greatest high priest, according to, to Hebrews, who we... By Jesus, we can approach God with confidence, not with fear. Grace. And so when we stop to think for just a minute that I, I shouldn't be able to be heard by God, but I can now, because of grace, there needs to be some reverence attached. Yes, I can approach you personally. Yes, I can approach you with confidence. But you're my dad and my king. And as a result of being my dad and my king, my tone, my heart, my posture must be different. My tone, my heart, my posture must be different. We approach him from a place of reverence. Mm. Forgiven does not give us liberty to speak to God laterally, if that makes sense. I'll say it again. Forgiveness does not give me liberty to speak to God laterally. God will always be high and lifted up. He will always be above. He should, by human nature, mine, not his, he should be out of reach, but he's not. 
we never get liberty to speak to him laterally. It's always vertically. Because a dad and a king is always above his kids. But that's okay. That's okay. Because that leads us to place number three. Place number three is this. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. If I could do parenthetical statements here, this is what I would do. I would, I would put a parenthesis right here after your and say, not mine, close parenthesis. Right after your, not mine, close parenthesis. Your kingdom, not mine, come. Your, not my, will be done on your earth as it is in heaven. Here's the third place that we pray from. We must, we must. Humble submission. Humble submission. Number one, he's, he's our personal father. Check. He's our king. We're reverent. But number three, that's loud. Number three, all of it is his. All of it is his. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And even the goal, even, even the goal of prayer is to, is, it is, it's two wills trying to become one, and we're the only one letting go here. God's will doesn't change because he's perfect, he's efficacious. It's not going to change. We're after his kingdom being replicated here on earth. In his kingdom, everything bends to his will because it is his will on display. There's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no sadness, there's no brokenness. That's what we're moving towards. And I'm not giving us a prosperity gospel kind of a thing, I'm not, but, but this is what's going to happen. When Jesus returns, and he's going to, and it's going to be an amazing show, way better than any ACDC light show we've ever seen, it's going to be great, and when he comes, he's going to make this earth like heaven, and we get to live there glorification. It's going to happen. It is coming. And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more COVID-19. It's not going to be there. And so in the meantime, we have to admit, God, your kingdom come here. We want that. Your will be done here. We want that. And we want it here just like it is there. But the only way that happens is if we say, not my kingdom, not my will, not even my earth just yours. And, and I, I, I get the rub because we're born with will. We're, we're born with desires. I'm not saying we abandon those, but what I am saying is we allow God to reshape those to make them look more and more like His. Because here's the point of prayer. The point of prayer is to not rub a lamp and have a genie pop out that is the God of all creation and say, what can I do for you today? The point of prayer is this, that the longer we spend in active conversation, personal relationship with God, his will and my will, they become the same. I want what he wants. Remember Nehemiah when we talked about it several months ago? We keep going back to that. Nehemiah, he's like, hey, God, you remember when you prayed this? Of course God remembered that. It wasn't asking God to recollect something that he said. It was no. It was Nehemiah saying, hey, that's what I want, what you said then. My will, your will. I want them to be the same. I want what you want. God wants his kingdom here. God wants the kingdom of God to grow here in the form of people surrendering their lives to him actively out of obedience by the drawing of the Holy Spirit to confess their sin, to turn from their sin in favor of Jesus and to say, I want you more. 
And because of you, Jesus, I can know God. And now my will can be bent to yours. As a matter of fact, maybe it's a better metaphor to say maybe my will can be erased in favor of yours or replaced. Your kingdom, your will, here like it is there. And I point up just because that's habit, but that's okay. That third place is, man, humble surrender. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it's just, it gets this place in Romans where Paul is actually talking about, okay, how do we do all these things? What do we do with all this stuff that, that you just dumped on us? All of this deep, rich theology that breaks people's minds. What do we do? He said, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world anymore. Do not let your, your life be made into the jello mold image of this world. Remember the terrible metaphor? He said, instead... Man, let your, let your mind be completely wrecked and remade. Your will be changed so that we can know what God wants. And our first way of doing that is just through prayer, is just through that conversation. And prayer doesn't have to be as rigid as we think it is. One of the things that we talked about in our community group this week was how many times do you find yourself in the middle of the day, in the middle of just a circumstance, go, oh, well, I, was just, I was just talking to God. I didn't even realize it. And we're not making less of prayer. No, but we're understanding that prayer becomes an honest byproduct of our closeness to God. If we stay close to the vine, the point is we are. We're going to bend to this uh, constant state of prayer to where we can talk to God at any time. It doesn't have to be in our, our quiet time in the morning. It doesn't have to be when we put our kids to bed. It, it doesn't have to be. It, it can be. Those are great times. It can be formal. But sometimes it can just be, God, I, I just want to know what you want. Show me what you want. It could be from a foxhole. It could be from a mountaintop. It could be from all of these places. But we start as a kid, speaking personally to our father, but he's also our king, so we're reverent. And then we, we move to this place of humble submission. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want. But there's a fourth thing that's hidden in there, too. And it's, it's really, I like it because it's clever. And it goes all the way back to the very first part in verse 9. He says, pray like this, or this is how you should pray. Look at those first two words in his instruction. Mainly the first. Plural, plural possessive, that's hard to say. Plural possessive. He's telling us that we need to pray together. Yes, we pray individually. Yes, we pray personally. But he said, our Father... Yes, shared with him, but it's letting us know that we should be praying as a people, not as a person. Unified. So multiple, multiple people as one body whose wills are being changed to look like God's. It's crazy that God came to redeem a people and he expects those people in unison to speak to him. And it's also beautiful. Here's some effects, I think. Here's some byproducts if we, if we start in these three places, like a kid to a father personally, like a kid to a father who's also a king out of reverence, and third, from a place of humble submission. I think the first, here's a byproduct. Um, it might force us to talk less and listen more. If we're starting from those places, it's going to force us to talk less and listen more because we're going to want to know what to pray, when to pray it, how to pray it, and so for us to do that, we have to listen more. We listen through Scripture. We listen through community. 
We listen through the Spirit speaking to us and testing it back with Scripture. But we need to listen more. Talk less. Don't be like the Gentiles who just rattle stuff off. No, 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 listen first. It says when we don't even know what to pray, that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. That's crazy. That there are going to be times when we don't know what to pray, and so the Spirit of God, the seal of our salvation, prays on our behalf. This kid's numb right now. This kid doesn't know what to do. And it even says that Jesus is constantly interceding on our behalf as we're praying to the Father. Talk less, listen more. The second thing, I think the borders of our prayers will be opened, if that makes sense. The borders of our prayers will be opened. We will no longer be confined to praying about um, our little box of life that we call mine and ours. But we're going to look out. We're going to see a city that needs Jesus, that the kingdom needs to come to. We're going to see a neighborhood that needs Jesus, that the kingdom needs to come to. We're going to see a workplace that needs Jesus, that the kingdom is going to need to come to. And we're going to see all of these things that are possessed by him and not by me. It's going to broaden the borders of our prayers, which might mean that you pray longer, you pray more, you pray more often, you seek God's counsel regularly, often, habitually even. Uh Uh-oh. Which forces us to stay close to the vine. Anyway, third, third byproduct. I think our collective prayers, if we're all doing this, they're going to start to sound eerily similar. Our collective prayers, looking at the camera, are going to start to sound eerily similar. Because if a people who are supposed to pray together, not necessarily in unison, but together, If we're all doing this place, seeking God like our our personal father, like a child would, seeking God like uh, someone out of reverence because he's our dad and our king, and then seeking God from a place of humble submission, if we're all doing that or most of us are doing that, I think God's going to start to tell us the same things. And so it's going to be a group of people seeking our father with very similar things salvation of this person, the salvation of that person, the salvation of this workplace, the salvation of this one. Part of that is we share these things with each other, but part of that is the same spirit that indwells all of us is going to start saying the same things so that all of our wills collectively will start to yield to God's. Prayer is entirely supernatural. It's not methodical. It's not, it's not an algorithm. It's not putting the right syllables together so that God hears us. It's entirely about some kids praying to their dad, who's also the king, and we're doing it because we realize that his will is far better than ours, and we want it, and we want it. So with that in mind, this is what we're going to do for a couple minutes. I'm not going to ask anybody to pray out loud and be incredibly uncomfortable since there's only 25, 30 people here today, but just in the silence, sit. And, and here's, here's several things that we need to pray for this week. Number one, we're in the midst of chaos. Not talking about origins. Again, broaden, broadening our prayer borders. Um, man, we're, we're in the midst of chaos right now. People don't know if they can walk outside. They don't know if they're going to have toilet paper. They don't know any of these things. Um, we need to pray for the God who is the author of all peace to bring peace. We need to pray for clarity. Uh, We need to pray for those who are going to be sick according to the numbers. Man, if you're over 70 and you get this, it's it's bad. If you're immunocompromised and you get this, it's real bad. 
We have people within the Origins family that fit both of those categories. And so we need to pray that God protects our people. But here's the other thing. In the midst of it, God, what do you want? Make me want that. And so for the next few minutes, we're just going to have just eerie quiet, which is good. Um, Seek God like a kid who's talking to his dad personally, who's also the king, but do it from a place of humble submission. Pray for God's guidance and his peace and his protection through all of this. And then in just a minute, I think we've got one more song, and we're going to close with just some scripture together, and we'll be out. But let's pray as a family.